Feel free to edit this in where appropriately, allegedly. Hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. I'm back. This week we'll be taking a look at the news, some bits and pieces from around the league and having a look at teams who have made surprise comebacks. We're going to look at some games from last week, take questions from you the listeners and then look forward to the games from next week. So hey guys, Connor here, back from Germany. We've got Harry. Hey. And we've got Fitz. Hello. So lads, what's the crack? How are you getting on? I miss hosting. <laughs> the swap we'll do swapsies so. no, 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 that's great I didn't have to think about anything I just read the words off the page <laughs> you've, got, you've got a cushy job man oh that's it that's it the cushiest of them all but it yourself fits any crack grand yeah you know like this week I'm really hankering for some uh, Chiefs analysis I uh, hope you can provide some of that Connor you know yeah yeah I saw you guys kind of very directly did not really do any last week you said Connor's not here so he can be out in his own on this big fuck it and left it yeah it worked out for you it did yeah it worked out just fine but yeah, so back from Frankfurt, it was boring, it was good, but it was intense, and I was very tired afterwards. I thought Ian did good, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah it it's good to have Ian back, and hopefully we'll have him on for a few more episodes. Uh. Yeah, I was on to him there, saying we should get him on for a few more. His uh, lovely husky dub tones coming across on the, really on the absolutely earthy twos and threes. Uh, oh, did you discover when I was editing the podcast last week? What? There's a little thing in there that removes, like, snaps, ah, basically. Very good. So we've been sort of trying to edit around things cracking or mm. cigarettes being lit and now it's like oh could have just been doing this the whole time out, yeah. uh, fair enough brilliant but yeah I suppose we've got plenty to get through this week lads so we'll fire straight on in one thing we were talking about over the weekend was a lot of teams have come back into contention uh, as you kind of expect a few more wood towards the back end of the season but uh, these are some that maybe we might have thought didn't stand a chance so uh, of say don't call it a comeback these are teams that are now back in the hunt and just a quick chat about maybe why that happened we said we'd take one each so I'll start with you, Ronan. Uh, who's your pick for, for the comebacks? Well, I think there's no more team more appropriate for talking about comebacks than the Detroit Lions, <laughs> who have tied the record this year for the most fourth-quarter com- comebacks in a season with their victory over the Minnesota Vikings on Thanksgiving. Why have they won? Um, the fourth quarter. You win in the fourth quarter. The Lions have shown themselves to be very good at this. Like Looking at like how the team has actually evolved, like they started one and three, uh, losing to like the teams like the Chicago Bears, uh, but they, they I don't think they ever looked terrible. They just looked like a team that played like played other teams close that was average. They seem to have just gone on this tremendous like this tremendous streak of basically riding the wave, riding their luck, and winning every game at a point which they can't win. And when you look at why they've been able to do that, it's hard not to look at the play of Matt Stafford under the tutelage of the most awesomely named O-coordinator in the league, Jim Bob Cooter. Like, Matthew Stafford, as we've described many times in this podcast, uh, historically was like a random number generator. He'd just throw the ball, whatever. But over the last year, Matthew Stafford has become one of the most efficient, effective quarterbacks in the league. He has become good at protecting the ball. He has become good at spreading the ball around and making sure that offense can spread, basically, the point of attack and keep the defense on its toes. And he's done that at a time where their presumed running back one has been out for most of the season, and they've basically had to patch together their, their, their running back from leftovers and third down backs and all that type of situation. Like, this is now Matthew Stafford's team, and for the first time, in the first time probably ever, that's not a bad thing. That's actually a great thing. And if you look at that game on Thanksgiving between Minnesota and Detroit, you saw the difference between a quarterback you can trust and a quarterback that you can't. Sam Bradford throws a game-losing pick 
Matthew Stafford isn't making those mistakes anymore. I think Matthew Stafford has grown into, after all these years, an incredibly effective quarterback, and he has carried this team to a 7-4 record. There's definitely a huge amount of luck to that, like, and there's other teams like the New York Giants which have had similar luck, but there also can't be denied that there's been a massive growth in that offense, despite the fact that this might be a less talented Detroit team than a few years ago. Uh, so I think that's, I think it's been really good, and it would be really good to see if Matthew Stafford can continue this development and become one of the elite quarterbacks in the league. No, of course. Uh, and it's a great story, and they're fun to watch because every game goes down to the last minute. Yeah, so then the final point is, uh, do they make it? Yes or no? It's, I think, like, they Yes or no, like, Ronan, do they make it? Okay. Yes. <laughs> Yes, but <laughs> look out for Green Bay. Harry's, Harry's up next. Who have you taken, Harry? So I've taken the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is this has really been a uh, a team that, you know, I think we, we wrote off after a little while. They were 1-3 at one point. They looked like a, a bad team. They just lost, like, Arizona and L.A., and they lost badly. Together. So they started off beating Atlanta, which I think made everybody sort of sit up and notice at the start. Then those losses I talked about, and one to Denver as well. Then beat Carolina before the bye, beat San Francisco afterwards. Fair enough, those were two weak teams at that point. So uh, immediately after, they lose to Oakland and Atlanta again. But again, two strong teams. But after that, they beat in Chicago. Fair enough. Then beat Kansas City and Seattle last week. Very, very, very impressive. And a huge part of that, for all we talk about, oh, is this Jameis Winston? Is this you know Doug Martin, who obviously was missing for most season and getting him back has is, is been huge mm. in, in, in terms of the, their offensive efficiency. But all that talk about that, this young, exciting offense, all these pieces, and they are there. I mean, obviously, look, Mike Evans has been tremendous this season. We've seen Cameron Brake come on. Uh, Adam Humphreys has been a very, very useful slot receiver. It's been about being a less exciting team in some ways. And they're still an exciting team with a lot of big play potential. But it's been about efficiency. It's been about, particularly about a defensive solidity. And it's been about better ball security. Um, that sort of helped them turn this season around. If you look at the games that they lost, the points that are scored against them in those games are like 40, 37, 27, 30, 43, like big numbers. When they win games, it's when they're giving up you know, scores of 14, 17, 10, 17, yeah. 5 against Seattle, 24 against Atlanta in that shootout at the start of the season. This team's defense has come together under, under Mike Smith, who was, of course, pointed at the start of the season. Mm-hmm. Might have taken them some time perhaps to work that out. But now it's looking like the former Falcons head coach is doing a real, real good job there. If you look at it, this has been historically, over the last few years, a very talent-rich defense. Like, Gerald McCoy has been fantastic again. Um, like, six sacks, two forced fumbles so far. You've got Levante David, Quan Alexander has 90 tackles already in the season. The level of play that these guys have been able to show over the last few weeks is what's winning the Buccaneers games. Even when their offense is doing less well and they're up against tough defenses that will hold them to only uh, a touchdown or two. They're still able to win the game by locking down opponents. And that's what's changed them. That's what they've been able to do. They weren't able to do at the start of the season. That's why they let like the Denver Broncos score three touchdowns on them. They're not doing that anymore. And they're doing it against good teams. So that's what's been part of it. The other aspect has been ball security. If you look at Winston, eight picks and four fumbles before the bye week in week uh, six. After that, three picks, three fumbles. This has been a team that is perhaps, I think, maturing in the way it plays. It is relying less on these kind of shootouts. And while visually it's a little bit less fun, there's a little bit less spectacle, what that's doing for them is it's letting them win games that otherwise they would have just sort of lost control of. And the ability to take control of games, the ability to have their defense shut down opponents, themselves to actually control the clock, control the ball, and run down the game has been really, really, really important. And that's what's changed them, I think, this season. And that's what I think we're going to see more of going forward. A reliance, particularly on that front seven, so, not all we expected, I think, from Tampa Bay at any point. And not to take away from, obviously, the play of guys like Mike Evans. 
But this is a team that last year and early this season were like, oh yeah, Mike Evans can go off for 100 yards and two touchdowns and they'll still find a way to lose. Now against Seattle, it was like, within the first quarter, Mike Evans had nearly 100 yards and two touchdowns. They're like, right, we're just going to lock this down now for the rest yeah. of the game. And they've been able to do that. And that's been very, very impressive. I think I have to credit the coaching staff, firstly, for being able to instill that and develop that. Mm-hmm. But also for the players for being able to uh, overcome the way they have been playing, change the style. So I suppose the obvious question then is, are they going to make it? Do you know, I think they might now. I really think they've got a good shot at the wild card in the NFC. No, I think I think it, you're right. They've got an interesting run in there that they might stand a chance. I've gone for uh, Miami Dolphins, but they've got a tough run sitting in front of them. This is a team that we thought, you know, we're just going to be garbage tier kind of doing nothing like this is a team that nearly let the Browns beat them earlier on in this season this has not been a good franchise but they've just had a change in mindset they realised that they didn't need to lean on Tannehill because he wasn't impressive enough and they found J.H.I. to be an excellent runner and they just decided to swap the way that they'd run him out of the backfield he's been their offensive identity and people started to pick up on that in the last two weeks and started to push harder into that and what have we seen as a response Tannehill's looked good for the last two weeks because now the support is there people have to buy the run which wasn't happening when Lamar Miller was in there this is a team that's also inspired to manage to get production off its incredibly expensive defensive pieces because these they have what like 180 million dollars wrapped up in contracts just on the line alone I think on the defensive side and they were getting no production out of Sue and Wake but now they're starting to see these guys coming in and disrupting now I'll be talking about them later on surprise surprise in the pick section but they have an interesting run of it so they're now sitting in the sixth seed in the wild card in the AFC but they've got a number of other contenders coming up so they will be played hard they've got the Ravens the Jets the Bills and then obviously the Pats are the one which I'm not going to say they have much of a chance in unless they're resting people which they might be uh, and the Cardinals who are on the downslope but that's three other teams in the Ravens Jets and Bills who all think they're still live and who will play them hard so I'm not sure if they're going to make it but they've put themselves into a position that the start of this season would have been inconceivable that they're sitting here at the big boys table uh, at this late in the season I'm going to say they're going to miss out just a little bit just I think they're going to lose the game to the Pats and they're probably going to drop one of either the Jets or Bills game and then that will be enough to allow someone else to swoop in at the last second who might have a softer schedule. But yeah, so we'll move on to other bits of the news now. I so we're going to move on to some other bits of news. Uh, the competition committee have gotten together and decided, hey, we've been making a lot of real bad decisions here. Uh, <laughs> Well done for them for introspection. Uh, so they're now exploring additional options such as sideline cameras to help the positioning of balls, the decision making of the referees and to deal with things like replays. I suppose this is something that we'd welcome at this point because we've seen an awful lot of terrible decisions being made. In particular, when we're talking about these types of sideline cameras, we've seen several games where terrible spots have cost teams badly. Is this something you're happy to see or is this something that you think is just a quick fix on a bigger issue surrounding refing. It's all going to be small bits. There's no like magical thing you can do that will just change the problems of refereeing and make it all okay. So I think giving them help in this kind of way is probably a good thing overall. Um, my only concern really is, is like how you position the cameras and where you, where you position them, you know what I mean? Mm. Because that thing's uh, 100 yards long. Whatever way you're going to move a camera along it, it's going to be difficult to have an angle. So whether or not they're going to try and suspend something above it, whether they're going to try and have something mobile on the sides, or whether they're going to have them at fixed points. Yeah, shotgun cams at every five yards or something maybe? Yeah, it's a difficult one to do. I mean, something like they have in the pylon, right? Yeah. So I don't think it can completely fix the problem. And I think you're always going to have some kind of ambiguity unless you start putting in, you know, lasers and microchips and stuff like that. You're never going to know exactly where the ball is. I don't think anyone should look at this and be like, right, yeah, boom, solved. We're never going to have this kind of controversial call again. 
but I definitely think that it can help them and it's just going to be a question of how they how they deploy it. No, of course. Uh, Fitz, do you think this is something they've been thinking about for a while themselves or is this just a reaction to things like Houston at Oakland to the Denver New Orleans two-point winner uh, yeah, I think I think it's something they prefer, like they would prefer to keep on the back burner. You know, something that they could suggest every once in a while. There's some controversy, but unfortunately, a couple of high-profile incidents uh, within a short period of time generally gives a kick up the butt of these people. Uh, I think the general objection and the reason it's usually kept on the back burner is because there are particular expenses and problems associated with this type of setup. In particular, a lot of the owners think that certain stadiums would very much struggle or would cost a significantly larger amount in some stadia to have this set up versus other ones. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if they do go the whole way and actually suggest this or you know, say this should be done. Uh, if I were the bender, I probably wouldn't say it will happen. And I think they'll let it die down. But you know, uh, Dean Blandino and the competition committee and all these people exist primarily to kind of take the heat out of these long enough that they can kind of go back to be dormant again. Not really expecting much out of this, to be honest. Yeah, no, probably not. They'll probably just go, well, we've had a look at it and we've decided we're okay with how it is. Josh McDaniels has come out and said he'd love to be a head coach again. Uh, I presume he would. (laughs) This probably marks us entering the massive coach speculation season. It's a little bit earlier than I would have expected, but I suppose we do. We are now starting to eliminate teams from contention at this point, so uh, the Browns are no longer alone. I think the 49ers are now technically gone too. Is this just a time when people will say this to get their name out there, or is this to try and stir something up with particular teams, or is it just noise for the sake of noise? Yeah, I think it's you know, I think it's a bit of advertising. It never hurts to get your name uh, sort of in the minds of people who might be interviewing and be like, yeah, right. you know, he's been wanting to move since the middle of the season. I mean, obviously, Josh McDaniels comes from the Bill Belichick coaching tree, which is increasingly looking like a Bill Belichick coaching stump. To be honest, they're all yeah. great coordinators who have no idea how to be head coaches. The only part that worked was when he was in Cleveland. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it makes sense if, if you know if you are interested in being head coach. And ultimately, I think your ambitions have to lie there as a, as a coach to, yeah. to get that gig. Uh, maybe not in Jacksonville, which is probably where people are likely to end up at this point. Yeah. But yeah, like I think there's probably going to be something to it. And I think like McDaniel's is very very highly rated as an offensive coordinator, so people will, and rightly so, definitely people will be willing to give him a second shot, see how he does in a non Tebow environment. I the do- one other thing actually, is that, obviously, he's on the Patriots, they're likely to have a much deeper trust into the uh, playoffs. That means that teams will have to wait on McDaniels, likely, so it's important for him to make sure, like, I am here, please wait for me. Yeah. So I think there's kind of a situation where he needs to be a little bit more open to ensure that, you know, all these all the good plum places aren't already taken by the time, you know, the end of January or February uh, rolls around. Yeah, no, because that was something I was going to say. It's like, obviously he wants to get his name out there, but there's also a potential that with them going deep, he doesn't want to, he wants to put this out here now so he doesn't have to maybe deal with the media questions about it while they're prepping for Mm. playoff games and stuff, which is a potential. But yeah, we expect to see increasing amounts of this happening, of uh, more and more people going, do you know what, maybe announcing isn't for me anymore. Maybe I want to get back in. couple of bits from the Ravens game. Justin Tucker kicks three from over 50 yards. It's the first time everyone's had that. Uh, I still think he's a douchebag. If you want to see how much of a douchebag watches fucking press conference. He opens his press conference with the like eight or nine year old up dog joke. He's like, fucking die in a hole. <laughs> that was a bit intense. He's like, he's like the anti-market king. He's just no, a... Pat, Pat McAfee is the anti-market king. <laughs> oh God. I got, do, do you want to talk about Justin Tucker? I don't. <laughs> He's very good at kicking. He's less good at making Connor like him. Yeah. Uh, but he doesn't get paid to make Connor like him. That's so. true. 
In, uh, in, in slightly more present news, the Ravens have uh, shown a bit of a loophole in the in the regulations. Uh, deliberately held all of their opponent team for about eight seconds, just so they could then run out of the back of their end zone and give away uh, safety to end the game. There was questions then raised about the fact that it says if uh, safety results from a penalty, they're meant to be allowed to take a free kick. The difference being that the penalty or the the safety was not caused by the offensive penalty; it was caused by them fucking the rules. This isn't something they're going to be able to rectify in season, is it? No, it's not. Uh, it is funny they've got John Harbaugh. Like they did this in the Super Bowl against the Niners. It was just a little more subtle. Yeah. Remember how pissed off he got when Shane Vereen lined up as an eligible lineman? Yeah. Like, oh, you fucking hypocrite! Like, it's a clever bit of play. It's also a gamesmanship. It's not okay. We saw the Niners do it. There needs to be something done about it. You can't fix it in season. Yeah. Like they made an attempt to do to do this um, actually a little while ago, where they made this kind of thing a palpably unfair act, right? Which means the time can be put back on the clock and be yeah. assessed, and the play essentially scrapped. The problem is, is that refs are only allowed to do it at the second offence, which is no good if it's uh, the end of the game. Right, right? Fair enough. I'm with you. So if you do it at the end of the half, like the Niners did, or the end of the game, like the Ravens did, the refs can't do anything. Now the obvious solution is right. We're going to make it a palpably unfair act whenever it happens. But it's not always going to be as obvious as this. You're not going to have guys like putting defensive players in headlocks and throwing them to the ground every single time. So there's a fine line to walk there. And the NFL obviously doesn't want to knee-jerk into just being like, right, this has to go. The difference between that and a couple of guys playing crappily and all giving away holding penalties on a punt mm. is it, it's very difficult to determine intent. Is this, is this one of the situations where we should be giving the refs free reign for interpretation? I'd like. I'd, I'd. I think it's important because this. This. To be honest, it's. It's in the rules, but to me, it's. It's bullshit. Yeah. What about yourself, Fitz? Any thoughts? Well, on Harbaugh, you know, he's a Harbaugh. He may be the less whiny Harbaugh, but that's not really <laughs> saying much. Uh, but like, don't forget, this is something very similar happened in the San Francisco New Orleans game before halftime, where Chip Kelly had his defensive backs basically deliberately hold. Yeah. Uh, Drew Brees, like, to basically stop him having or having any opportunity for a touchdown, just make them force them to have a kick. It's obviously outside the spirit of the rules, but it's within them right now. I think in this case, you can probably close this loophole uh, during the off-season, and I think we'll welcome that. So yeah, and, and maybe it should be put at referee's discretion, but I think more likely they should just make it a free kick. No, of course. Greg Robinson's been playing shit for a few years, and because of that, they've decided to leave him inactive for this game, uh, leave him on the bench and replace him. Former number two overall pick in the 2014 draft, uh, the Rams really rammed up that pick, didn't they? Yeah, but they made it up with Aaron Donald, so it was okay uh, to a certain extent. But it has left them basically with a franchise left tackle who they replaced with their like left guard. And that offense actually showed a bit of life this week with Greg Robinson inactive, so maybe they don't want to bring him back. <laughs> uh, but yeah, major lack of investment. But like, there has been a slight trend for these very high tackle picks to end up not working out uh, as intended. Even in the cases of where it's worked out okay, such as Kansas City, they probably have underperformed what you would expect from someone of such yeah. a high stature in the draft. No, of course. Uh, Alvin Smith's file for reinstatement. We're expecting an update during the week, I believe. So this might be this might be decided by the time the podcast comes out. How much of a benefit would it be to the Raiders to have this man come back at this point? You know, I think it's it's helpful. He's not going to make a huge difference think, at this point because the defense already looks pretty good. But the more guys you can have in there who can rush the passer effectively, the better because the more lanes are going to open up for other guys like mm. Khalil Mack. We've got two guys doubling Khalil Mack. You've now got another another threat in there. So I don't think Alden Smith is going to come back and be the heart and soul of this defense or revamp anything. But he's certainly talented enough that, look, they've stuck by him through all of this and are applying yeah. for reinstatement. So obviously they intend to they intend to use him. And he's not a... 
you know, he's he's not a bad player uh, yeah. when he can keep his head together. So we'll see how that works out. So at least uh, I saw something interesting. Uh, Khalil Mack has more sacks than the entire rest of his defense. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Did did nothing ever come of that Alden Smith videotape from like a month and a half ago, two months ago? Jeremy videotaped himself smoking weed, and then they were like, "But Alden, they'll know who you are." He goes, "No one knows I'm Alden Smith." <laughs> <laughs> He's already suspended. It's fine. <laughs> uh, no, it, was just, it was just like, could you be more fucking stupid? Injuries, quick roundup. Atlanta had two that are quite relevant. Desmond Trufant, pectoral injury. He's gone for the season, most likely. Uh, Adrian Claiborne, torn ACL, probably at least a month. So, impact of this, guys? I think it's big because, like, Atlanta's defense has not been great and these were two of their better players Desmond Trufant probably their best cornerback yeah. uh, this is going to leave a lot of holes in, in, that, in that secondary Landry Claiborne has had a decent season he's really been the only effective pass rusher with the exception of Big Beastly on that uh, defensive, defensive front seven I think once you stop losing that pass rush especially when your top cornerback is out you can expect lots more points Hmm. On the other hand, that means we'll probably have a lot more exciting Atlanta games. Yeah. We'll see if that comes through this week, huh, Connor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see how that goes. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> Chicago, Danny Trevason's uh, patellar tendon out for the season. Again, Chicago, it's kind of a, it's a lost cause season anyway, isn't it? So. Yeah, like it sucks for Trevathan, and he's a reasonably good player, although he's obviously looked um, less good since leaving, leaving Denver and leaving mm. the system and talent around him, but like that's just the cherry on top of the shit Sunday for Chicago over yeah. the last few weeks, I think. And speaking of Chicago, after having their, their well, essentially rookie quarterback <laughs> throw for over 300 yards... Uh, Parrish Cox has been cut. You're, uh, you, you've got some opinions on this Fuck guy, don't Parrish you? Cox. Fuck <laughs> Parrish Cox, right? Absolutely fuck Parrish Cox. I'm glad he's cut. I, I don't know who they're, the, the other corners they have are. I think they're literally playing a stack of potatoes at left cornerback now as a result of this. It doesn't matter. Here's why I fuck Parrish Cox, right? Parrish Cox is an alleged rapist, and he's an alleged rapist in the sense that he got off on a reasonable doubt technicality in a court case in 2012. He raped an unconscious woman who was then pregnant with his child, which I think is about as solid DNA evidence as you're ever going to get. Right? Yep. He initially denied that, so he said, I never had sex with her. Right? Then was like, oh, well, actually, she's pregnant with your child. And he was like, well, okay, yeah, I had sex with her, but uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't rape her. It is bizarre. So she was unconscious at a party. She said she only had four drinks. Possibly she was drugged, possibly not. Nobody knows, but it looks quite likely that she was. Demarius Thomas testified against Parrish Cox. Like, when your teammates are testifying against you, yeah. really fucked the situation. He basically, the woman passed out. He offered her to Demarius Thomas. Thomas thought Cox was joking, but was like, this is fucked up, so I'm going home. Yeah. Left. And then, uh, when she was unconscious, Parrish Cox uh, raped her. Uh, she reported to the police. Cox was arrested. The trial happened. And uh, basically, because there was some technical stuff about it basically being beyond reasonable doubt, about whether there was contamination of the DNA evidence, I think was one thing. And then there was like contaminated the child. I don't know. I honestly have no idea. And then of course some stuff about girl on girl action. Anyway, the point is, fuck Parrish Cox. Fuck him. He should be in jail. The fact that he isn't in jail is just an unfortunate effect of how a legal system does function. I'm glad he's not on the team anymore. I hope nobody picks him up because although it wasn't for this, this is a tiny, minute fraction of karma for the terrible person he is yep. and the terrible things he's done fuck Parish Cox and a big plus for you Harry at least is that he played like fucking balls all year so there's a very very slim chance we'll be seeing him again feel free to edit this in where appropriately allegedly <laughs> yes <laughs> well we did start with we said look he hasn't been convicted it's e- just everything I stated is a matter of record before a court of law 
There is no, like with Roethlisberger, where things never quite went to trial. This all played out in the courtroom. Yeah. These are the things that were you, said. You said he raped her, allegedly. Uh, from a legal perspective. Bro, I don't know. Ireland's laws are stupid. Fitz, Fitz, Fitz knows an awful lot about this. Okay. Like, Parish stats, Cox. stats sue him a lot fucking for come, come and sue me, Parish Cox. Come and fucking sue me. <laughs> dare you. Ah, oh, God, that'll but, be... Bro. That'd be brilliant. Come at me, bro, with your legal team. Yeah, obviously he's a lot bigger than me, so <laughs> and he's clearly a violent man with yeah. bizarre sexual tendencies. So yes, with the legal team coming no, at me, not with yourself. That's scary. And uh, on that on that lovely note, we're going to move on to the games from last week. So the first game we've got uh, in the Ring of Honor is Kansas City at Denver, thirty to twenty-seven in overtime. Uh, it's a monumental game in every single sense of the word. I was I was not very happy at work after like two hours sleep. The following day, but it was totally worth staying up for it, uh, even though I nearly died. Uh, <laughs> Cairo Santos field goal in overtime that came in off the post, sealed the, in the last second of overtime. This was a defensive slugfest where both Houston and Miller looked incredible. Second half, both F offenses got firing a lot more. They kind of, I presume, just kind of defense is getting a little bit more gassed or something, especially in the in the effort. So, as well as Fitz, I'm going to go to you first for your take from the Denver side. What did you make of this one? Like, it was a good showing from Denver. Like, Denver have, have been a little bit off the boil recently. And uh, I think in this game, they finally showed a bit of life. But it's going to be hard for the management, for Kubiak uh, and their team, not to take a bit of blame for this. What will basically be considered two pivotal decisions for why this ended up going as it did. Uh, the first is starting Tyson Braglio at right tackle. He was completely outmatched. And this isn't an unknown. He was completely outmatched. The last time he played uh, a full game against Atlanta, when Vic Beasley, who's a good pass rusher but not a great pass rusher, absolutely made mincemeat of him. Now you put him up against Justin Houston, who admittedly is coming off an injury, but against Tyson Braglio, he looked like the old Justin Houston got three sacks in like, the first half, absolutely destroyed uh, their offense, and basically turned the first half into a complete no-pointer. They brought in Donald Stevenson, who is recovering from an injury, and the second that they brought him back on, uh, the amount of stacks went down. Trevor Simeon in the second half looked a lot better. They got their offense going. They actually put some stuff together. In terms of the other coaching decision, there's obviously this decision over time to go for a very long field goal, 63 yards, I believe. Yeah, 62-yarder. Um, so that, that's, a, that's, a, that's an incredibly risky move because not only, of course, if you miss, uh, have, uh, do you give them the ball back, but you give them the ball back inside your own half and obviously give them a very high probability of winning the game now Kubiak has come out afterwards and said like tying the game is as bad as losing the game basically that's more or less his opinion on tying games I can respect that it's ballsy but objectively if they had a tie uh, they would still be in the sixth seed for the playoffs Fitz what I'd ask you there because I, I, I'm with you entirely on that being a questionable decision what I would also question is they passed on the two plays prior to that, which is also what allowed the time to be left on the clock, which is a very, very questionable decision at that point, if you ask me. But like, I think in that situation, they needed yards. To, like, they weren't in field goal situation at that point yet. So I don't think they were in a clock-killing point of view. They were in a game-winning point of view at that point. I think, like, considering uh, Trevor Simeon did very well in this game, I don't think it's unfair to give him a chance, but yeah, I think there may be some debate about that. But they probably should have just punted it away and took the draw. They had opportunities to win this game even outside that, like as I'm sure you're about to discuss, like they they failed to stop a you know a three minute drill. Like this defense is supposed to carry the scene, and in this situation they failed to do that. But I think in this case there was decisions made by the team 
which pointed a, a game which literally came down to inches. This is a game that, you know, it's very easy to imagine that if they had just made those couple of changes or those couple of decisions, they could have gone away with a tie or even a win in this game. Uh, but I think overall, they could take a lot of bet, like a positives from this game in terms of where the, where the team is trending. Uh, and I think uh, I agree with you, Connor. It's Miami thing. I think they will end up taking one of the wild card seats over a team like Miami in the end. Oh yeah, like I must say, I, I absolutely love this. I know, like th- from a visual perspective, the first half wasn't the best, but I I I just love hard hitting football. I swear to God, I think Eric Berry was out there to try and kill someone that day. <laughs> like the hits he was delivering, there was one that he was called on, which was. To be fair, it was a bit risky, but the only reason that the one that we got called on got called was because the person also decided they'd seen how he'd been hitting and dropped to their waist, like knelt down, or not knelt down, but like squeezed themselves down, and that's where the, the, the hit to the head came from. It was great to see Houston back. Brilliant game from him. Ten, ten solo tackles, three sacks, five tackles for a loss. That was without D Ford on the field as well, so him and D Ford at the same time will be a sight to behold later on the season. But our offense once again looked anemic for three quarters of this game. Uh, I I swear to Christ, lads, if I see this play call again, I'm gonna fucking hurt someone. Right? So many times it goes screen for two yards, run up the gut for maybe two yards. So then you've got six yards to go, quick pass for three yards to like Albert Wilson. So punt again, and that that progression of. Quick screen, run up the gut, short pass is something that they did over and over again. Uh, now, that's out at the tail end. Uh, Alex Smith started looking an awful lot better. Similar to the to the Chargers game where they kind of just gave him a bit more free reign and he opened it up a bit more, which does beg the question, if he's going to open it up a bit more like that, why isn't Andy allowing them to do that earlier? Or why isn't he drawing it up that way? But like their last three drives, uh, two minutes left, 75 yards for a touchdown and a two-point conversion, 46 yards, then a field goal and a field goal needed to be scored, and then 32 yards and set up for an easy, and I have <coughs> easy, um, <laughs> Field goal. Um, Sanders looked great in this game in the second half. Uh, basically, when they realised Gaines was shite uh, and they weren't dropping an extra bit of support coverage behind him. But yeah, no, very excited now for the next couple of games. Uh, I want to see more on offence from the team, but the defence is starting to look like it's a proper championship level defence. If they can just keep that stuff up. There was a good couple of people missing. Like, obviously, missing the wide receiver one, missing their top statistical pass rusher. Nelson, the slot uh, defensive back, wasn't in. Uh, hence, probably why we saw an awful lot more of gains getting destroyed. Jay Howard was out. Poe was out for a bit of the game with a back injury. But if they can get a couple of those pieces back, Atlanta game is going to be an incredible, exciting watch. Especially seeing as it'll open up our offense a little bit more, given that they've also just had those two injuries to their defense. So... I'm happy to get the win. I could well have seen this game going the other way, especially the back half of it. So a cheeky win, but you need to get one or two of those, I think, to to to, to finish out a finish out a season. Talk about that last kick. Oh, How God. did you feel when that when that went up against the the post? Oh, I was just like, fuck's <laughs> sake! Um, but uh, did you did you see Carlos Santos's uh, Twitter feed afterwards? No. It was it was phenomenal. So there's a, there's this great picture. Kogut the holder is down there, and he thinks it's gone wide, and he just looks distraught. And Santos is just looking up, looking quite happy. The the story behind it is that Santos is quite short, and he couldn't actually see. It. <laughs> but um, but what what he's done is he's put up the picture and just goes, "Oh, I forgot to tell Kogut I was going for a slap in, and like <laughs> that the plan was to come in off the post because those are the most exciting ones. But no, it was uh, it was it was a highly entertaining, especially in the second half game. But uh, 
yeah, like defensive slugfest and a half. So as well, we'll move on to the next one, then the neutral zone. This was actually quite a decent game as well in parts. Carolina at Oakland, uh, 32 to 35. Oakland Raiders win their fifth straight game in a comeback where it appears that your finger being in several pieces can't stop your quarterback from still winning a game for you. Uh, very much a game of two halves. Raiders were leading 24 to 7 going into the half, and then Carolina responded with 25 unanswered points. Uh, Stewart looked good in the run game, 96 yards and two touchdowns on 17 attempts, and uh, Ginn and Crabtree both went over 100 yards each. But other than the scoring being kind of bunched, it was a fairly pedestrian game for both a team that's massively on the rise and now sitting in the two-seed, and one that is just kind of slipping quietly into that cold night. In terms of Carolina, Ronan, there's no real coming back at 4-7 and seven for them, I think, in this season in terms of playoff. But they're still showing flashes, especially in the second half. Could they have won this game, or was that just an aberration of Carr going out and a bit of momentum being on their side? I definitely think they could have won the game. I don't think they would have deserved to win the game. Because, like, really, like their points came on a, like a few very, very huge plays, basically. Uh, particularly in the first half, where uh, Cam Newton had two passes go really, really well, and then did literally nothing for the rest of the first half. They basically, in this game, had to rely on what was basically a deep strike offense, relying on Ted Ginn and players like that to try and make plays for them. And in the end, like that's really like exciting and it's really good and it gets a few touchdowns against uh, like an Oakland secondary, which is still still certainly has question marks about it. But in the end, when they needed to make yards, they couldn't. When they needed to make yards on that final on that final drive to set up for a field goal, they couldn't. And I think that kind of speaks to the type of team Carolina has become. Uh, and also speaks to, like, to a certain extent, being unlucky. Like, this has been a season where they've lost a number, like a large number, of very, very close games. And it's just been a situation where last year everything went right, everything fell into place in terms of, you know, it, Jonathan Stewart stayed healthy, Cam Newton stayed healthy, uh, everything clicked. Uh, and basically, you know, the only thing missing was busy Calvin Benjamin. We all assumed, okay, Calvin Benjamin back. This team's going to go great. And Kevin Benjamin's actually been pretty good this year, but all those small things have kind of gone against them. If there was one thing that has tipped the balance negatively, it's that secondary. And that's, we've questioned it all through the offseason. Everyone questioned it all through the offseason. Uh, they put in all these inexperienced people in the back, and they basically went with that logic, with the hog mollies up front, with the defensive line. We can get enough pressure on the quarterback to having an inexperienced secondary. doesn't matter. But now... You look, Josh Norman is with a team which is competing for a wildcard spot uh, in, in the NFC East in one of the best divisions in football. Carolina are 4-7. and seven. What would this season look like if Josh Norman had stayed in Carolina? That's going to be one of the big, un, like, basically unanswerable questions that we'll hear about during the offseason, I feel. So I think for the Panthers, they've still got the core of a really good team, but there's some decisions being made in the offseason and some bad luck, which has basically flipped the script and left them as one of the least successful NFC champions in a long time. I think the first time since the Giants that the NFC champion will not be in the playoffs. Yeah, no, of course. Harry, just in relation to Oakland, so their run game didn't really get going and their defense looked quite inconsistent, but they are, as I said, 9-2, and two, second in the AFC. Like, can a team go deep when playing from behind so often? I know uh, Rona mentioned it earlier, the Raiders have now had five comeback from behind in the fourth quarter wins. Is that sustainable, or what can they do to work on that? No, it's probably not sustainable when you talk about a playoff run, uh, particularly when the team's going to be tougher, 
and everything can hinge so much on a few critical moments, you probably won't get the opportunity to do that in the playoffs, and that's got to be a concern for the Raiders. Uh, I don't know if there's like an immediate fix. I think this is still a young team. This is still a team that's coming together. As you mentioned, it's still a team with some problems in the defensive backfield. Um, and on the O-line, particularly in run blocking, hasn't looked fantastic this season. I don't think anyone really thinks this is going to be Oakland's year, though. So I think a, the pressure is off in that sense. This is just a really nice little performance of the team uh, coming to this level of performance quicker than people thought they would. Yeah. Like, there's no real sense of, like, this has to change now. We need to rip this up. We need to find a way to make it consistent. I think they're going to continue what they've been doing, which is building slowly, uh, slowly towards that. You know... I don't know if I agree entirely about the defense being inconsistent. To be honest with you, like more than uh, more than half of Carolina's passing yards came on three plays, so there are certainly lapses you can be concerned like that, that are concerning. If you look at where Carolina's points came from, momentary disorganization that a, a good quarterback and a good wide receiver or a good running back can absolutely punish you on, but not really the kind of thing that you're like, oh, this is just being this is wobbly. This needs to be fixed. It's like okay, these are things that are fixable if you if these are just momentary problems. Um, they do struggle to control games at times. I agree on that. There was a obviously a momentum shift with with Carr uh, coming out, getting his finger dislocated, and then coming on throwing an interception shortly afterwards when obviously he wasn't quite wasn't quite comfortable again. But again, that once that was done and once they got over that patch, they were able to do enough to to win the game. Uh, it was actually. Did you see uh, Bill Roman Romanovsky's tweet? No, I didn't. He was basically like, "Oh, Derek Carr's been shook by his injury. I'd have chopped my finger off to get back on." Idiots, but this kind um, of reminds me of the, when uh, Broadway Joe was complaining about uh, he should have gotten back out there. And he's like, no, he's got he's, he's he's done. He's done his entire leg. About uh, oh yeah, he shouldn't be standing on the sidelines when he's yeah. injured. Yeah, it's like oh, nonsense. But like like no, but I mean it did show toughness genuinely. I think it's completely mm-hmm. is completely off base on that kind of thing. This is the kind of mentality that speaks well to Oakland. And once the team matures and as the team gets better and starts looking to add more pieces to fix the problems, which are so much less than they were even you know two three years ago. They're coming into a really, really good spot now. And this kind of game is the kind of game they can't afford to keep having, obviously, against mm-hmm. a team they should be able to beat, where they give up 18 points in a quarter and let them back into the game. Yeah. But overall, um, I think it's, it, it, it is tremendously positive to see that. And if you look at like how they ended the game, again, like obviously it's the big thing that Khalil Max strips sack and recovery, mm-hmm. although like it was an unlikely play to work anyway if Carolina going for fourth and ten. That's a really emphasis point of how well this team can play when it go when it comes down to it, no reason to uh, no reason to panic, no reason to take anything. Just in the same way that Oakland have been doing, just look at the things to keep improving, to keep making this team better. Uh, dumpster fire now. Uh, we've got Tennessee at Chicago, twenty seven to twenty one. Yeah, Barkley after a slow start managed to win this game twice, but fumbleitis and acute shitheadedness meant that Tennessee still held on to win. Uh, yeah, Marquise Wilson had a big game, one hundred twenty five yards and a touchdown. Chicago really spread it around uh, like 10 different receivers. There was no sacks allowed, no standout rushers, no big stuff really. It was just two teams playing fairly poorly. Uh, Roland, I'll chat to you about Tennessee. Um, This is a really poor Chicago team that's injured and playing backups almost everywhere. And realistically, Tennessee should have lost this game. Uh, What adjustments can you make at 6-6 given you've got no margin for error now? And people seem to have realized that if you just stack the box against Tennessee, there's not a huge amount that they can do. Uh, I think Chicago actually has a pretty good run defense. Uh, statistically, it's actually done pretty well. Tennessee got, like did okay on offense. And we talk a lot about their offense. And I think it did okay on the day. But just about did enough against what is actually a fairly underrated defense. But I think when you're talking about this Tennessee team and the adjustments they need to make, I think it starts on the defense with Dick LeBeau and the way that he organizes defense. 
Dick LeBeau is obviously very known for these very aggressive, blitz-oriented, uh, blitz very complex defenses. But right now, he really just doesn't have the personnel for that. Now, he has the personnel up front for that, but the biggest problem right now is that secondary. We've already discussed the Parish Cox, who, let's be honest, as well as being a terrible person, was also a mediocre uh, defensive back at best. So they have, they, they have a Rockbo uh, up front, and they have Derek Morgan up front. Like, similar to Carolina, that can get you so far, and they have got a lot of sacks this year, and that has been effective. But that entire back end is just no names across, across the board. And basically, they just don't have the talent back there to be relying on them to hold in man-to-man coverage during blitzing. But Dick LeBeau, like as we saw towards the end of his tenure in Pittsburgh, isn't willing to make adjustments. This is the Dick LeBeau system. Uh, and while it's generating sacks, it isn't generating the results they need to stay competitive in games. I think in this game, I think it showed again and again that this defense is the biggest Achilles heel of this team. That can be avoided if you're able to run the ball and run the clock and make sure the other team isn't on the field enough in an extension of the fact that they're reliant on a run game. It's not only true on the offense, where Mariota can often look ordinary when, when the running game isn't working, but also it's also problematic when the defense is kept on the field and forced to play the game. I think this is a game where the defense needs to go into this bye week ask some questions, make some adjustments, and see what they can do. I don't know if they have the talent to do it, uh, but they certainly need to have some look at it. But if I was a betting man, I probably wouldn't imagine it's going to happen. Dick LeBeau owns that defense. He is like a senior kind of name in the league. Uh, so if they end up not making the playoffs this year, in what is still a terrible AFC side, it probably comes down to the defense and nothing else. Yeah, fair enough. All right, in terms of Chicago, decent showing from a very injured and talent-poor team. I think we were discussing the most injured team in the league, especially given the showing we saw here. Are we looking at their quarterback for next year, or is this just a relevant noise at the end of a kind of dead season? Yeah, if Matt Barkley has trotten out. I mean, look, he still did throw two interceptions, and a lot of the production kind of came at the end of the game when Tennessee in the second half were like, oh, we'll try and sit on this lead, and proved utterly unable to do it. I think where you can take the positives is pretty much the opposite of what Ron says about Tennessee. When you look at like the defense now, Pernell McPhee is back. And obviously the loss to Vathan is quite big. But those guys have been playing very well up front. They've been good against the run. And that's, I think, something where Chicago can take a bit of heart from uh, this season. And from the performance, particularly in the second half, where they basically shut Tennessee down completely and were able to take away their weapons. That's what you've got to look at for Chicago as being like, this is the good thing. I don't think Matt Barkley is the positive coming out of this game. Uh, he made it close at the end, but he struggled mightily for large parts of the game. And I think the stat line sort of belies how inconsistent he was in moving the ball around. Uh, like, he, he ended up with over 300 yards. He also threw the ball, like, 50 times at a 50% completion rate. It wasn't exactly a stellar performance by any means against... And that was against, as Ronan has pointed out, quite a weak secondary. Uh, so, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't read too much into this. I don't think anyone in Chicago particularly thinks he's the future. I think they'll be looking to make a relatively big acquisition uh, in the offseason because I don't think Cutler is going to stick around either, and I don't think anyone thinks Brian Hoyer at this point is going to be anything other than a marginally competent backup. Uh, but the other, the other thing, though, in fairness to them, is we're seeing, we are seeing something from the young receivers, and I think credit where credit's due on that. Uh, with the loss of Alshon Jeffrey, it looked like this team could, could go to absolutely nothing in that, in that regard. But obviously with Howard running back, uh, being able to carry a load, and then you see guys like uh, like Wilson, like Thompson, or even uh, Cameron Meredith 
although he was a bit quiet today, have been like coming along this season. So although there's no superstars in there, you're like, okay, these are guys who can perhaps form the backbone of a decent core once we get a guy to presumably replace Alshon Jeffrey. The big pieces are what's missing right now on that offense and the quarterback, star wide receiver. That's what they that's what they need to be looking at. Uh, moving forward from this no fair enough so best of luck to them uh, there's no point in worrying about injuries as well just try and keep people without season or you know career damaging ones uh, and then hope that you can use that to build your core up next year it did feel like a pre-season offence when you saw a team sheet didn't it <laughs> it did quite a bit now to be honest we're like oh we're really seeing the stars of tomorrow today Logan Paulson man. Um, and with that I suppose we'll move on to questions from the listeners Okay, so this question comes in from Steve Oldman, and he asks us, should we ban white cleats, or do hashtag all cleats matter? Nicely played, nicely played, Steve. Uh, (laughs) This is obviously a relation to the issues that happen when players with completely clean white cleats are running down along the sidelines and are potentially, and I would say almost certainly, out of bounds, but it's very hard to tell on video replay because the cleats bleed into the coloration of the sideline, so it's hard to decide if someone is in or out of bounds to me it seems just like a really simple logical thing that yes they should ban white cleats because the color of the cleats doesn't matter it's what's in your heart (laughs) (laughs) well yeah they arbitrarily ban all other types of cleats anything that indicates any personality so i suppose banning white cleats in general wouldn't be that much of a stretch that's true like i i don't i don't see what the downside is (laughs) Well, there, there, there is no downside. It's, it's, it's weird that they haven't. Uh, I, I mean, aside from our, aside from jokes, like really, there is no particular reason not to ban them. Um, like Ronan said, they regulate the hell out of what players wear anyway. Yeah. Um, so look, I, I'm, I, yeah, okay. Let's just ban, ban white cleats. Let them wear whatever the fuck they want as long as it's not white. But it, it does cause confusion. Yeah. Um, it does cause a problem. It's a really, really simple solution. And honestly, I think the, the like, it's, it's a good question because. There is no particular reason why you shouldn't. I can't. I, I like. I was thinking about this, and I cannot think of a single logical reason for allowing them, other than that it gives another different color for Nike or whoever to sell. Yeah, like outside of maybe they want them so they can keep the colors for color rush uniforms all the same color or something. Like I don't. I don't see the point. Nobody plays in an all white color rush though. Oh. It'll be confusing because white's everyone's second. Yeah, 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 any sense. Suppose, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so like to be honest, yeah, we, we we talked about this a bit on the weekend. I just think yeah, it just makes sense. Just just get rid of them, and then we don't have any of the problems of that uh, two point swing happening. Again. Well, we probably will still have terrible refing decisions, but we have one less excuse for the refs to make terrible decisions on the basis of. So yes, thank you, Steve. We will uh, we'll put that into uh, Goodell's suggestion box. Probably bang green ones as well. Actually, well, they already have, but you know. Yeah. Ah, to be honest, the look, color rush there. Looking, look, <laughs> looking at the uh, looking at the quality of some of the pitches we were watching the games played on, I think there's more like brown. kind of sandy brown coloured ones would be more of an issue there. Um, but yeah, so that's perfect. We'll move on to the games for next week. So first up, we have Dallas at Minnesota. We've taken Dallas across the board in this game. Fitz, why Dallas? Yeah, like Minnesota uh, after a pretty big loss on Thanksgiving are probably going to be demoralised. Their offense is tepid. Their defense is good, but has shown flaws over the last uh, month or so. Dallas are the most dominant team in football right now. Ezekiel Elliott, Dak Prescott destroying all before them. Uh, so I think you know if you're taking the best team in football, they're probably going to win, even if it is away. So uh, it should, it could be, it could turn out to be an interesting game. But I think on balance, you're likely to see Dallas grind Minnesota 
uh, over the 60 minutes and come away with a pretty comprehensive win. Yeah, no, fair enough. Next game up is Detroit at New Orleans. I've taken New Orleans. Harry and Fitz have both taken Detroit. So, Harry, why Detroit? I think we've seen, as was Ronan flagged earlier, um, a much more controlled Detroit, a much more efficient Detroit uh, in, the, in the second half of the season than we did in the first half or even in, in prior years. And I think that kind of thing is... Is, is just a nightmare for New Orleans. Like they win games where opposing defenses lose their discipline. They win games where they get into shootouts. They win games that are messy because they're able to do that. Um, Detroit, if Detroit can play like we've seen them play, if they can hold together, hold the line as, as it were, and basically make this a game on their terms, which they have the ability to do and they have the talent on defense to do, it's difficult to see how New Orleans are able to play in their expansive style uh, that lets them win games. So I think at this point, Detroit, I, I think, have the, the capability to play in the method that New Orleans find the most difficult to play against, if that makes sense. So I would give the edge to Detroit there. Yeah, no, like I've gotten the Saints in this one just because I've, they were kind of, I was 50-50 as to whether to take them for my uh, potential surprise upset coming in at the tail end. Um, I just really like their offense. I just think they're exciting. They have the ability to go off in games, and then it's very hard to catch them if you can get into a into a foot race with them. And Detroit, while better these days, were at times during the season that type of offense where they'll just go, "Okay, so this is this is a this this is a race. We're going to try and win the race." New Orleans are at home. They've got an offense that can perform. I think if they start to put up points, it puts the pressure onto Detroit. So I can see them coming away with a sneaky win. And I also think they're looking at this as they could still get into the into the into the hunt here, but they can't mess up. So on that basis, I think they're going to be really up because this game could decide whether or not they're still in potential contention. I don't know. I think they might be on a bit of a come down after uh, getting their revenge on Greg Williams. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God, yeah. So the next one up, we've got uh, Los Angeles at New England. We've taken New England across the board, I suppose. Harry? It's the Rams, so I actually... If you notice what happened, I haven't picked 7-9 bullshit. And do you know why I haven't picked 7-9 bullshit? Because you're terrified about the bad juju? Firstly, that's anti-Semitic. Secondly... (laughs) (laughs) I don't think the Rams are going to make it to 7-9. I think they might finish worse this season. And look, as much as the Rams are a random team who do weird things... They're still a bad team, a very strange offense that we saw a little more life from it uh, last week. New England know how to win games, they know how to beat bad teams, they know how to beat bad teams in tough games as we saw last week against the Jets. I just don't think you can pick the Rams right now against a team that knows how to play football. No, exactly. Denver, Jacksonville, we've taken Denver across the board. Basically, Jacksonville can't seem to get anything going at all. Denver are a very good team. Uh, they seem to get more things going offensively in the second half. Uh, so that will probably continue against a far weaker defense in Jacksonville. Uh, even though they're on the road, I can't see... like Jacksonville are struggling to find a win here. And I don't think it's going to come against the top defense in the league. <laughs> it's just be simple. Um, San Francisco at Chicago. I've gone Chicago and you guys have gone San Francisco. So is Ronan, why San Francisco? Yeah, like, obviously, this is not a good game, and it doesn't really matter, uh, so, you know, and, like, in terms of San Francisco, like, they've shown a lot of progress, they played Miami quite tough, um, it, it, the week just gone by, they, like, Chip Kelly, I think, is starting to put together the pieces that will form, you know, part of the machine that he's hoping to run next season, you know, like, I think for San Francisco, if they live up to what they've done the last few weeks or so, Colin Kaepernick continues to show its progression, 
and the rehabilitation back into being, you know, a starting level quarterback. I think they should have enough for Chicago. I think like the Matt Barkley thing was going. It's going to end up being just a you know, one-off, and we'll see the return of you know Matt, the Matt Barkley that we would expect. Who is terrible. <laughs> yeah, like this game doesn't matter. I've gone Chicago because San Francisco always just seemed to fuck up. So that seems like a solid bet. Uh, Chicago defense have been playing better, so that seems like an alright bet. They've got a running back, so they can eat a bit of clock. Like it's going to be a god awful game, but yeah, I just think Chicago at home between two crappy teams. I'll take Chicago at home to get a win. Uh, Harry, uh, the next game up is your game of the week: Houston at Green Bay. We've taken Green Bay across the board. Do you want to tell us a little bit about this one? Yeah, I think this is a game just with, uh, in that term, with implications, uh, mm. particularly uh, Green Bay, because I think if they lose this, I think that's effectively them toast. They'd be 5-7 and seven if, if they lost this, so uh, that would be a non-starter. Similarly for um, Houston, it wouldn't be fatal to lose. It would probably be bad. They're only, I think, half game uh, ahead of Tennessee at this point, or a game and a half ahead of the Colts, so definitely like difficult for them in, in, in a, a very close division. What I'm looking to see here from Green Bay is whether or not we can see a bit more of what we saw against Philadelphia, which is a team that looked a little bit more balanced, a team that looked uh, like it was finally, you know, Rodgers looked a bit more comfortable, like he was finally able to take advantage of the uh, time he's getting in the pocket. What also I think was quite important for them was um, that although the running game was still bad, it was there, it was present, it was functional, it gave them something a little bit different, it meant that Philadelphia had to focus on different things. That's just going to pose the same kind of problem for Houston because they're like, well, we can't just focus now on taking Rodgers' weapons away because there is a running back now who is actually a running back. And that's the thing we're going to have to focus on. If Houston do manage to win this, it's it's huge for them. Uh, beating Green Bay despite their struggles is still a big, big thing. It's still beating Aaron Rodgers. It's still quite important. But I just don't think right now they're in a position to do it. This is a team that has got to the top of its division by rolling over a very, very weak schedule. A team that has got exposed against pretty much every half-decent team it's played. It's going up to Green Bay uh, at this time of year as well, which definitely doesn't help, particularly a dome team, uh, try to go and play in those conditions. So I'm going to be interested to see if if Green Bay can maintain that level of performance. Uh, Houston does have talented pass rushers. They do have talented run stuffers. But if that O-line can keep playing the way it has been playing for Green Bay and keep giving Rodgers time and keep making a little bit of space and a little bit of a gap, you feel that Green Bay here are in a position in basically desperation mode to say we're going to have to win this and they're going to find a way to to deal with a Houston team that just can't seem to get any kind of offense going. At- yeah. Also just on a very basic level, Brock Lobster sucks balls. Oh, yeah, well, I mean, we, we don't need to say that at this point. I mean, like, but it doesn't matter. If you throw three, three interceptions and no touchdowns, yeah, like, no, the, the, the Osweiler thing is not working out. They've married themselves to it. That's going to really hurt Houston going forward anyway, so. But, yeah, so next up, uh, Kansas City, Atlanta. I've taken Kansas City. Uh, Harry and Ronan have taken Atlanta. Um, just briefly, Kansas City, I think they're looking quite good at the moment. Atlanta have some defensive injuries. We've seen a game plan for how to deal with Atlanta, which is just keep their defense on the field, move slowly. That's really the only gear the KC offense has. So that plays to our strength. But yeah, mostly just, I think the defense can get really disruptive against this Atlanta team. And well, they fucking want to be because we're not going to be able to cover the amount of weapons they have otherwise. It'll be a tough game, a tight game, but we'll see what Atlanta team turn up because we've seen two very different Atlanta teams between the first half of the season and now. Uh, Yourself there fits on Atlanta. There's even more pressure heaped upon on the offense in this case, but the offense does continue to output things. Like, they've brought Taylor Gabriel in. He had a very good game on these kind of trick plays. 
like Devonta Freeman is looking really good. Julio Jones is Julio Jones. I think he had a quiet week against Patrick Peterson. Obviously, that's a massive matchup there. Marcus Peters will follow Julio Jones around effectively. If they can shut down Julio Jones, that gives Kansas City much more of a chance. But if they don't, then obviously that's a massive thing. Due to those defensive woes, Atlanta's really going to have to turn off the afterburners. But I think Kansas City's defense has been a bit brittle. Like Gaines, obviously, last week quite bad. Yeah, I, I, I have enough faith in Atlanta's offense to maybe carry it in this case. But you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, they, if Casey could toughen up. So that's why I'm giving Atlanta just the edge in this yeah. case at home. No worries. Next game up is my pick of the week, Miami at Baltimore. We've taken Miami across the board in this one. Um, a soon-to-be very recurring team in the back end of the season. This is a very important playoff ramifications game. I think that's going to be the basis for a lot of picks going forward. Um, interestingly, if the playoffs started today, this would be the wild card match between the third and sixth seeds, uh, even in the locations where they are. So it's kind of an interesting one to see. Uh, the power running of JHI is coming up against the second overall defense in the league in terms of yards, uh, but also the best rush defense in the league uh, entirely only allowing 74.9 I think yards a game uh, Miami's defense have looked a lot better like I said I covered some of this earlier more destructive Flacco has been very shaky when the pressure is getting to him so I think that's key but it's also true for, for Tannehill and this is a good defense from Baltimore for the Ravens it's just about shutting down the passing game and making it a one dimensional offense because they can they're good at focusing it on the run and if they can limit them to that then they have a very good chance in this game Pretty much the inverse is the plus for the Dolphins. If they keep Tannehill involved and keep it mixed, they'll tire out this Ravens defense, which are puffed because they're on the field a lot at the moment with the way that their offense have been playing. So I think it'll be an interesting game, probably quite a tight game, but one that has playoff implications for both sides. So I'm actually surprised we've just got Universal Miami on this. But yeah, it should be should be an interesting one and we'll set up both of those teams for a run or a disappointing also ran. <laughs> Uh, Philadelphia at Cincinnati we've taken Philadelphia against the board why is that Harry? Uh, Cincinnati just don't look good right now their team struggling with injuries Rex Burkhead was their best running back last week yeah very concerning situation for Cincinnati this is looking like a lost season whereas Philly kind of technically a bit more still in it in terms of their playoff implications but also in terms of just Cincinnati are a team that should be good that are kind of spinning their wheels and regressing Philly are a young team that are figuring out on the rise at this point they've got more to play for just in terms of that in terms of their development in terms of players looking to make an impression. And although they lost to Green Bay, they have looked good at, at points this season. And you'd think that given just how disorganized and demoralized Cincinnati look right now, Philly will take mm-hmm. this. Buffalo at Oakland. We've taken Oakland across the board. Um, why is that, Ronan? Yeah, like Oakland, we've already discussed, uh, are looking dominant right now. They're probably uh, the second best team in the AFC Buffalo, you know, have a, have, a, have a history of being a bit of a spoiler, but I think this will probably be the game where the Buffalo playoff push will probably die. Uh, that won't stop them spoiling other people's playoff, uh, playoff runs, of course. Or, but I think Oakland right now look really good. Derek Carr looks really good. And I think the one weakness that they do have in the defense, which is in the backfield, is not something that Buffalo have the personnel to do it, unless Sammy Watkins... Uh, it's really, really back, which you look kind of, but I, I wouldn't bet it. So Oakland has to take the win here, I think. Yeah. So next up, we've got Tampa Bay at San Diego. I've taken Tampa Bay. Harry's taken Sa- Tampa Bay, and Fitz, you've taken San Diego. So I suppose Fitz, why San Diego? Yeah, like this is a this is a tough one to to call, of course, because we're talking at two teams which have had very up and down seasons. Uh, so T- Tampa Bay are kind of on the up right now, but I don't really trust the Tampa Bay team to a certain extent. Like like San Diego, it's really hard to get a read on where San Diego are right now, but I think that 
at home, they will have enough. I think they still have that slight smell of the playoffs in their nose. I think that will give them enough to take on the Tampa Bay team. I think they have the offensive line to keep the Tampa Bay defense like in check. So I think if that defense is kept uh, off the quarterback, I think Philip Rivers has enough skill to make this a shootout. And I think in a shootout, uh, San Diego has enough talent on defense and on offense to just shade it over Tampa Bay. But it will be quite a tough and quite intriguing game to watch. So Harry, what about Tampa Bay? Yeah, I just think this is... I mean, you talk about who's got the smell of the playoffs in their nose. And then you pick <laughs> exactly. uh, San Diego. I'm not sure what's going on with that. Like, I think Tampa Bay are the team that this game is uh, more more important for in that regard. But right now, I just think Tampa Bay are a team that have figured it out a little bit, whereas San Diego are still playing with a large amount of inconsistency and there's very high variance in their, in their performances. Getting pressure on Philip Rivers is this thing I think this defense can do. I, I, don't, I don't quite agree with your analysis. I think they now have figured out how to run their pass rushes over the last few weeks and how to limit offense in a way that... San Diego, despite having emerging pieces, still relatively limited in a lot of areas in, in that respect, um, might struggle to deal with. But I just don't know if San Diego are a complete enough defense, though they have very talented players there, to deal with the multifaceted threat that Tampa Bay can provide. You've got James Winston who can run, can throw, can also make very stupid decisions, but can also pull off some incredible stuff. Mike Evans is a nightmare now. They do have a very, very good cornerback, Hayward. Um, so it'll be interesting to see who emerges from that matchup because you assume they'll be, that he'll be following Evans around the place for the most part. Given just how many ways Tampa Bay can move the ball and given that San Diego are still a depleted team, I think you give it to the team with the momentum, the team that's looked more solid over the last few weeks, the team whose defense has been coming into its own. And I do agree with you that San Diego could certainly win this game. I don't think it's a lock by any stretch of the imagination. But right now, uh, all, all, all the indicators, I think, are, are trending in Tampa Bay's direction right now. Yeah. Next up, we've got Fitz's pick of the week. Uh, New York Giants at Pittsburgh Steelers. Myself and Harry have taken the Steelers. You've taken the Giants. Tell us a little bit about this game. You know, we're talking about playoff games mostly at this point. Uh, this is a playoff implication game between conference, so won't be quite as important as some of the games we'll see later. But it's between two of the teams who are probably... Uh, of the real contenders, or people that you might consider, like this, this team could actually to go on a roll, go all the way to a con- like to the conference game or even to the Super Bowl. The Giants are a surprisingly underplayed team right now. Like this is a team which has uh, seven wins. Uh, no, sorry, eight wins. They've done it in such a way that no one has really been that impressed with them. No one's going like the Giants are great or the Giants are amazing. They've just kind of quietly gone about their business and won what have been actually a series of close games but which haven't been very exciting uh, games or good games in the sense that they were like thrillers whatever like that but they've consistently ground wins out and on the offense you know the offense is pretty much where we expect it to be although it hasn't performed where we want it to be they've brought Rashad Jennings in 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 recent past OBJ continues to be you know a force of nature but it's the defense where you're really seeing some interesting evolution and growth like JPP is having a contract year and he's really going for that you know, long-term contract either in New York or elsewhere. It's turned out to be a bargain in New York. And Olivia Vernon is actually is growing into being one of the better edge rushers in the league. Uh, Janoris Jenkins has turned out to be a great thing. Uh, Snacks Harrison has been okay. It's actually one of those cases where a free agency splurge is starting to come together and that they've put enough over the course of the season to be the case where they should have a good chance of making the playoffs. And on Pittsburgh's side, they've been frustrating throughout this entire season because Lev Bell, since he came back, has been really, really good and his running style is absolutely unique. There's no other running back who runs like Lev Bell. His kind of stop-start, patient way of running is just 
it's, it's amazing the way that he find, finds the gaps in, in the offensive line to, to make those yards. And then, of course, you have the, the Rottlesberger to Antonio Brown connection. I, I think the biggest problem for Pittsburgh and why I favor the Giants in this game is I think the defense is starting to fall off. I think there's been attrition, particularly in the linebackers and on the line in Hayward and on Shazier and other players either been injured or now out for the season in Hayward's case where I think that defense is starting to look a bit suspect. It doesn't look like where it needs to be for them to be a true Super Bowl contender. I think in this game, the underrated Giants will have enough and will have enough to silence the critics and the people who expect the Pittsburgh uh, offense. We would say it's more hype around it. I think in this case, I think the Giants, this could be a statement game for the Giants to show that they're a real contender. And that will set up what will be an absolute preview of a preview, an absolutely fascinating matchup against the Cowboys on uh, uh, next week so I think uh, in terms of this matchup it's two teams it's very hard to get a read of where they are but I think the Giants for me are a team that's about to go that's about to show itself like that that it's one of the better teams in the league and actual should be considered I think Pittsburgh like even if they lose this will probably still win the AFC North but I don't think are really where they need to be if they want to be a true contender in the league yeah, no, of course. Next game up, Washington at Arizona. Uh, we've taken Washington across the board. Uh, basically, Arizona looked like they've fallen down a toilet. Uh, Washington, Mizungus are looking better. Kirk Cousins has been playing well, or at least well enough that he's going to get himself paid. Uh, he has incredible statistical numbers, even if he doesn't necessarily pass the eye test in every game. They've got explosive weapons. Arizona have an excellent running back and... That's about it, I think, at the moment. They do have some good wide receivers, but whether they can get use of them changes week to week. This is a team that could turn out and do excellently, could come out and do terribly, but I think we're going to side with a slightly more consistent, if not a team you ever really want to support, Washington Mazungus. <laughs> uh, Carolina at Seattle. We've taken Seattle across the board. Harry? Seattle will probably want to bounce back from that one, uh, whereas for Carolina, effectively, the season is over. Seattle have struggled at times for consistency this season, but have overall looked like a better team than Carolina. Always also tough to go off and play in uh, playing Seattle for the most part. I, this is very basic, but it is genuinely one of those picks where Seattle does look like a more complete team right mm-hmm. now. They look a better team defensively. They look like a better team offensively. Mm-hmm. You won't see them, like realistically, you don't expect to see them uh, shipping big plays to Carolina in the same way that Oakland did repeatedly to allow them to do it. So if they can get a little bit of fire back into that offense, which you, you suspect they will be able to against the Carolina pass rush that has looked not that great this year, they should be able to to, to beat Carolina. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, Indianapolis at New York Jets is our final game. I've taken Jets, Harry's taking the Jets, and Fitz has taken Indianapolis. Uh, why the Colts? I think the reason you pick the Colts is the reason that anyone has ever picked the Colts this year. Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck should be back from the concussion protocol this week. Uh, and Andrew Luck has dragged this team, kicking and screaming, into... Uh, playoff contention, albeit in the AFC South, and I think that that will be the difference in this game. I think the New York Jets have shown a little bit of life, particularly last week against, against the Pats, but I think in reality, I think when it's Ryan Fitzpatrick versus Andrew Luck, even despite all of the talent differential, I'm going to take Andrew Luck in this case. Fair enough. Um, yeah, in terms of the Jets, just I thought they looked good against against the Pats last week. Thought their rush was looking real good, and that is a that is a Swiss cheese O line in Indianapolis. So I can imagine Luck is going to be on the run quite a bit. I don't really have that much faith in their offense, but I also don't have much faith in the Indianapolis Colts either. So I'm going to go with the home team in an ugly game where the defensive lines have more to do with it than the uh, than the offenses do. Um, so, so that wraps up the games for the week. Any plans with yourselves, lads? The old uh, work Christmas party on a Friday. Uh, they booked. Uh, they booked the Aviva Stadium. 
They've, they're doing it on Friday. They're yeah. monsters. Friday is the toy show. Oh, maybe maybe it is on Friday. Maybe I should check that. Friday, Friday's a toy show because I'm heading home for the weekend, and I've already told the folks. That, oh, it's Saturday. Oh, Ooh. you're okay. You're okay. We're in the clear. We're in the clear. <laughs> uh, no, because I've, to- I've already told the folks that uh, like have the have the fizzy pop and the sweets ready. We're sitting down for the toy show. Very good. Very good. Very good. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. You guys saw the stat, and it was I think it came up on the fourth quarter of the uh, Seattle Tampa Bay game when uh, Seattle were driving to try and uh, get back into it. Um, of the down yardage to go on a third down, I think it was, it was Tampa Bay eight point four average on third down, Seattle nine point one. Yeah, like that's Just horrendous, mad, that. isn't it? That's, have, yeah, that's defensive football. <laughs> <laughs> it was something. And they've been like, yeah, like that was a weird game overall. So yeah, <laughs> like Mike Evans went crazy for a quarter, and then no one did anything. Yeah. <laughs> for the rest of the game, it was it, like it might have deserved. It. In the like the dumpster fire section, but I think it was so dull it, it wasn't really worth talking about. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably a fair assessment. No, no, but um, no, outside of that, nothing, nothing else too wild. Quite enough week this week, and then we've got oh, we've got the the brass band Friday week, don't we? That's right, we do. That's going to be mm. class. Yeah, it's bit of hypnotic brass. We've mentioned them before on the podcast a couple of times. Uh, mm. If you're in Dublin, Sugar Club uh, next Friday, going to be amazing. Fitz, are you coming up for that or no? Yep. Ah, it better be. I bought him a ticket. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think uh, I think we'll leave it there. So yeah, I think technical difficulties have meant that Ronan keeps dropping in and out, so we might just have to leave it at that. So, so it's bye from myself. <laughs> oh, and he's back. He's just about back in time. So this is bye from me. It's bye from Harry. Goodbye. It's bye from Ronan. Bye. Hey. Uh, it's been all four quarters. Uh, thanks for listening. Hit us up online. All that kind of stuff. Make sure we'll chat to you next week. <laughs>